Hi, I'm Rico Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Welcome to a special podcast-only, super-duper holiday edition of the Dinner Party Download. That's right. Consider this a belated Hanukkah present or an early Christmas or Kwanzaa gift, whatever's your preference. And it is just for you podcast listeners. Today, you're going to hear highlights from our recent live holiday frolic. It took place a few weekends back at KPCC-FM's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena, California. That's right. And in addition to 100 or so fans in the house were some of our and our audience's favorite past DP guests of honor, as well as a couple of stellar musical acts, all of whom are coming up. But first, let's hear from our headliners, us. This is how Rico and I open this show. It's our Dinner Party Download Frolic, so thank you for being here. We hope you've already done plenty of frolicking, uh, however you interpret that to mean. For public radio types, it generally means reading The New Yorker until we fall asleep. (laughs) Or not recycling. Oh my God, that's crazy. Anyway, it's a holiday show, and as media people, we want to say that this is a time of year when the media just kind of slacks a little bit. Uh, Reporters are about to take vacations. They don't want to work too hard. So what do they do? They make lists. They make lists. You know, best of the year lists, top 10 lists, and... You know, it gets clickbait, it gets people riled up, people like lists, but it it is kind of a lazy. Yeah, it's lazy is what it is. So when we were thinking about how we wanted to start our show, we were like, why don't we just make a list? That's right, that's right. It gets people riled up, and it's clickbait, and people like them. It'd be great, so here we go. Here is our list of great things that happened this year that we think were frankly overlooked on other people's lists. All right, for instance, all the critics are raving about the Richard Linklater film Boyhood, It's about a young boy. He follows him through 12 years of his life. It was shot over the course of 12 years, actually. Great movie, but hardly anyone mentioned Boy George Hood. No one. Which follows the lead singer at Culture Club over the course of 12 years. Yes. Really overlooked film. Culture Club, by the way, the original title of our show. Uh, Until until the British consulate sent us a cease and desist letter. Written uh, in glitter. Written in glitter pen. That was really cool. Looked like a rave Anyway, it's a really great movie. You should check it out. Coincidentally, also stars Ethan Hawke. It's true. He disappears into the role. It's amazing. He's like a chameleon. All right. Pun number one. Get ready. Another thing appearing on your end list, Wu-Tang Clan secretly made a double album. It is called Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. But here's the catch. Only one physical copy will be produced. And the plan is to tour that album around with audiences paying a fee to listen to it. And then they want to sell that one album for a price, quote, in the millions. It's pretty interesting. And a lot of people were talking about that this year. But no one's talking about Eddie Money's new album, Two Groupons to Paradise. Yeah. Um, also, only one physical copy made, but that's because that's all the market would bear. Yeah. So it's a cultural artifact. Yeah. Check it out. All right, and finally, topping a lot of people's best of lists, and I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys heard of this podcast called Serial. I don't know if there's any overlap, but it's a podcast. Um, perhaps you've heard of it. It's produced by the people that make This American Life. And on it, host Sarah Koenig has been investigating a true crime story. And she doesn't know what's going to happen week in, week out. Every week she makes the show as she goes along. Right, which is, it's overshadowed uh, another audio show, which is made actually under similar circumstances, except it is made daily. And uh, it's, it's not even focused on one story. They follow dozens of stories as they unfold. It's called All Things Considered. That's right. It's, um, they consider all things. All things. So far, they've produced 11,170 episodes. You know, Still, there's, there's no... There's this one story they've been following about friction between Israel and Palestine. It's been going for decades. No, no conclusion. I mean, I'm addicted. 
So that was our opening monologue, which is now on many critics' lists of monologues with the most references to 80s pop stars. <laughs> That's... It's true. I'm not sure what was going on with us there. Anyway, we followed that up by announcing our guest list for the evening, namely actor, author, and singer Molly Ringwald, musician Moses Sumney, and the Silver Lake Choir. But the first act we invited to the stage was Mr. B.J. Novak. He starred on TV's The Office and on recent episodes of HBO's The Newsroom. His children's book, The Book with No Pictures, has ironically topped the New York Times best-selling picture book list for over 10 weeks. <laughs> Amazing. For this show, though, we asked him to read something from his humor collection, One More Thing, Stories and Other Stories. You may have heard an excerpt of this reading on our last episode. Here's the entire darkly comic story. B.J. Novak. Thank you very much. This is a story inspired uh, by this season of lists and best ofs and awards and that continues for the next few months, really. It's called The Best Thing in the World Awards. Many of the nominees were returning. Love, Jesus Christ, Julia Louis-Dreyfus on Seinfeld, <laughs> Losing Gracefully, which never won but was always nominated. Sunrises, Peace, which was often a finalist during times of war, but was otherwise not nominated. Summer Evenings, the score to West Side Story, Laughter, Christmas, and Peanut Butter and Jelly Sandwiches. Others were new. Internet on Planes, Spicy Tuna on Crispy Rice. Beauty had never been nominated. People lived their lives as if it were the best thing in the world, but perhaps in their hearts, they knew it wasn't. The same was true for money, same for honesty. A lot of people said they thought that Jesus Christ was going to come close one of these days, but it was generally non-believers who said that. Believers tended to vote for love, and the more casual believers voted for Christmas, and that split the vote. <laughs> love always won. Everyone knew that and watched anyway, perhaps even more eagerly, the way that people are more willing to get caught up in a certain type of movie when they have a sense that Deep down, of course, love is going to win in the end. The fun isn't whether love is going to win. The fun is in seeing how. Welcome to the Best Thing in the World Awards, announced the host, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> he had been the host for the past four years, and he was terrific at it. When are you going to be nominated? He was asked each year as he walked the red carpet on the way in, and he'd laugh it off. And so would the viewers at home. He was a fundamentally great host. There was no doubt about that but it said a lot about how seriously people took the awards that he wouldn't be nominated, at least not for a long, long time. An award show host? No, sorry. We love him was the unspoken collective answer to this question, but we're talking about the best thing in the world here. <laughs> Your votes, you, the viewers at home, are taken into account along with our confidential panel of experts and judges, all to determine the best of the best of the best. Most people skipped or only half watched the first 90 minutes of the show. There were dance troops, some subtitled singing. A man named Louie performed some stand-up comedy, but there wasn't too much he could say on network television. <laughs> Pixar debuted a 90-second short film that was everyone agreed, maybe just average for them, but great for anyone else. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey came out and explained in a smart and accessible way why some of the more boring-seeming nominees, mostly those involving third-world health, were actually really exciting to have on the list. 
It was the final half hour that everyone watched intently when the three finalists were announced and then narrowed down to two, and then finally a single winner, the best thing in the world. The cameras pushed in as Neil Patrick Harris returned to the stage wearing a crisp blue suit that sharp viewers recognized as the best of its kind. The three finalists for the best thing in the world are laughter, applause, love, applause, and nothing. People seemed confused, even Neil Patrick Harris, which everyone knew a host was never supposed to seem so much for his chances at being nominated the next year. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back after this commercial break. When the show returned, Neil Patrick Harris was smiling again. His smile was so reassuring, conveying such a contagious calm that everyone quickly forgot how he had seemed so unprofessionally off balance just moments before. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to say goodnight to one of the three best things in the world. Good night to Neil Patrick Harris opened an envelope with the red number three on it. Laughter. A video package played celebrating laughter in all its forms. Loving, cathartic, mean, gentle. The laughter of recognition. The laughter of epiphany. Laughter at oneself, at others. Laughter diffusing intense situations. And then, seemingly inexplicably, a clip from a terrible movie called Heartship, the inclusion of which itself triggered a round of laughter, which must have been the point all along. This really was a smartly produced program. <laughs> Still, amid the laughter, anxiety had settled in among many viewers, and especially those in the live studio audience. What did nothing mean? Who had nominated it? And how did it make its way to the finals on its first time? When love did inevitably win in the end, what would it mean to have nothing in second place? Maybe it would enhance the victory for love by placing more distance between love and everything else. Nothing even comes close to love. Or would it mean something darker than that? Perhaps it would mean that all the things that had been thought of as the very best things in the world were still, on some deeper level, less than nothing. Or maybe this was all a game of semantics. Maybe everyone knew what love meant, and everyone knew what nothing meant, and it really was that simple. And that's why everyone was so unsettled. But it wouldn't even come to that. Love always won, right? And now, ladies and gentlemen, said Neil Patrick Harris, laughing elegantly as part of his incomparably seamless transition from laughter's highlight reel to the next award. Now, as we wind down another unforgettable night of miracles big and small, it's time to say goodbye to the second best thing in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone watching, even the people secure in their knowledge that love always won, everyone held their breath in the hope that the next thing they saw would be recognizable somehow as nothing. Neil Patrick Harris smiled and began to unpeel the envelope with a red number two. Everyone having a good time? <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to say goodnight to the second best thing in the world. Good night to screen smashed to pure black and raw relieved cheers flew up around the world at the appearance of the highlight reel for nothing, as well as in the television studio where the lights had short-circuited and the smart modern orchestral music subtly omnipresent throughout the broadcast had been replaced by a loud, hollow buzz. As minute after minute passed, though, collective anxiety started to regroup and return. Why was this taking so long? 
This was already far longer than the other highlight reels, and if it went on much more, the show would be out of time before it was able to play the annually updated highlight reel for love, the much-anticipated traditional ending of the show. And why, some wondered, had the cut to the highlight reel for nothing been so abrupt? It was a curiously crude transition for a show and a host that had never made a misstep like that before. With less than a minute left in the scheduled program, the lights and broadcast were suddenly back on. Neil Patrick Harris stood alone on stage, looking both intensely focused and intensely disoriented at once. He also looked, in less abstract terms, as if someone were holding a gun to his head from off stage and forcing him to say something he didn't want to say, which would eventually become a prevailing rumor about the night, backed up over the years as rumors like this always were by more and more people with less and less of a connection to the original event. The best thing in the world is love, said Neil Patrick Harris. We're out of time. Good night. <laughs> the next year, and in all the years that followed, nothing was disqualified from competition. The official statement put forth by the contest organizers explained that the competition was one for the best thing in the world, and that nothing was, by definition, no thing, the absence of a thing and therefore had no relevance to the competition. Whenever anyone asked Neil Patrick Harris about what had happened on that night, he would simply say flatly, love won. Love always won in the end, no matter how it happened, no matter what it took, no matter what it meant. Fair or not, true or not, love won. If it was a conspiracy, at least it was the best of its kind in the world. Thank you very much. The best thing in the world. BJ Novak. Author and comedian BJ Novak reading from his story, The Best Thing in the World Awards. As he told us later, quote, a little dark for a frolic but I thought I could take us there. He took us there. He did indeed. And if you missed our conversation with him about that story and his recent tour of elementary schools, it's on our last episode. You can find it at dinnerpartydownload.org. Okay, now BJ has appeared on our show a couple of times, so it was kind of a no-brainer to invite him to our holiday party. Yeah, it's like inviting a favorite cousin to Thanksgiving. Right, of course he's coming. He always makes the best stuffing, right? But a newcomer to our show and to many in the audience was musician Moses Sumney. He grew up dividing his time between Southern California and Ghana, and you can hear the influence of both places on Mid-City Island, an EP he literally recorded in his bedroom. Spin Magazine calls him, quote, a one-man soul folk orchestra. Which is actually pretty accurate. We're going to let you hear the second song he played at our show, and keep in mind, all the sounds you're hearing were produced by him live, alone on stage, using only his voice, hand claps, a couple of mics, and a looping device. Moses Sumney. Thank you for clapping. <laughs> um, cool. My name is Moses Sumney. I put out an EP earlier this year, and these two songs are not on there. <laughs> they will be on the album that I will allegedly release one day.
shine on the embers of the fire that must be allowed to die. The bed of cold, it must run cold and die. But your body heated burns like. From a God, made from a God, let you whisper be divine. If vultures can be so, birds let it die. Leaning on the everlasting side. Da 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 da
Sumney, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That felt frolicky. Moses' EP, once again, is called Mid-City Island. All right. So, Brendan, I would say the audience was outwardly well-behaved at our frolic. Yeah. They were warm and respectful of others. They clapped in rhythm when asked. They were drinking. (laughs) That helped. But as in most of America, beneath that cool facade lurked a whirlpool of turmoil and despair. Or at least mild breaches of etiquette, which is where our next guest came in handy, Molly Ringwald. Indeed. She, of course, starred in some of the most beloved teen movies of the 80s, including Pretty in Pink, The Breakfast Club. She appeared in several Broadway productions, including Cabaret. She published a memoir and a book of short stories. But lately, she's been writing an advice column for the newspaper The Guardian. Making her just the person to answer our audience's etiquette questions. Before getting to those, though, we kicked off the interview talking with Molly about her music. She recently put out an album of jazz and pop standards called Except Sometimes, and Brendan started by asking her about something he'd heard from one of our engineers, Phil Richards. Phil, it seems, knew Molly's dad in college when he DJed a Dixieland jazz radio show. And it was really, I think, pretty amazing because, you know, my dad is blind, and so he did everything, you know, in Braille, and a lot of preparation, a lot of work, actually. Yeah, Phil said he would come in in the mornings with this Braille kind of typewriter Uh and type out, yeah, Yeah. all his notes. He's dedicated, wants to get the music out there. So a very small amount of people listen to this music, so, and... (laughs) Probably a lot of them my dad is responsible for, like maybe five. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not yeah. bad. Did he perform as well? Um, my dad, yeah, he's a he's a jazz musician, uh, a pianist, um, a banjo player, uh, a bassist, and guitarist. All right, and, so th- and uh, has a fantastic voice. So this album isn't that big a stretch. You grew up in a jazz household. Yeah. Stuff. Well, I technically it's my second album because I recorded an album with my dad right. and his band oh. when I was six years old. But this is my. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I wish this we had is, that. Yeah. I'm surprised you don't, actually. Well, I was like, they're going to pull out the, the album. Well, he wanted Antenna April. <laughs> I was going to include that clip. I think we should share some of uh, a clip from okay, your album. Sure. I see your face in every flower. Your eyes and stars above. It's just the thought of you, the very thought of you, my love. I think we should clap first. That was beautiful. That's I was me. In, I was enchanted. I know. It's wild. <laughs> 
I, I feel like after listening to Moses sing, though, I, yeah. I feel like I just sound like I'm like warbling, oh, come like on. like I'm gargling, you know. So that was the very thought of you. That's right? the very thought of you, yeah. Ray Noble. That's right. This is that's one of the songs that we might have heard you sing. You did a a, a series of shows at the Carlisle Hotel. Is that that's right? That's right. Which, yeah. if folks don't know, in New York, this is one of like the legendary places for American songbook singers. Elaine Stritch famously played there. Bobby Short for a really long time. Woody Allen, I think, still plays there. Yeah, is that he right? plays every every Monday night. And in fact, I sat in with him uh, when during my run. Really? Does he yeah. do vocal? Does he have vocalists? I thought it was just yeah. I mean, kind of yeah. He does. Well, he has me. I think I think, yeah, I think a few people. I don't Clearly. know. <laughs> Honestly, he, I don't really he... know. But I, I, I sat in with him on my night off. It was it was true busman's holiday. Did you chat with him at all? or did you, oh, I mean, No, is there's he like no Bob chatting. Dylan? You're not allowed to look at him? Or <laughs> no, something? he makes eye contact. He makes eye contact. It's just, it's sort of like you, you have to just sort of ascertain whether, you know, he's been doing this for so long, but he's still really insecure about whether or not he knows the chords or not. You know, so really? every time, yeah, you, um, every time you bring up a song, he looks to his music. He's like, do I know that? Do I? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you know that? And then, uh, oh, and man. yeah, and then we did the song. I've seen videos of him playing actually, and he really doesn't acknowledge the audience. I feel like he feels like if he acknowledges the audience, they're going to ask for a stand up routine or something. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be, but you know, he's like, he's doing the same thing for a long time and sure. loves it and committed to this music yeah. that not that many people. And that's when our recording gear broke. That's right. Just poof, stops working, apparently. And for about 10 minutes, none of our conversation was recorded. We're not kidding, which is too bad. There was some great stuff in there. You know, Molly was, uh, I remember Molly talking about staying in the Carlisle Hotel, where you get a monogrammed pillow in your room, apparently. That was good. We shared stories about Elaine Stritch, who, in addition to playing the Carlisle, was actually the first ever etiquette guest on our show. Scintillating stuff. I was surprised when Molly finally revealed the whereabouts of Jimmy Hoffa's remains. Me too. And we played the long-lost missing minutes of the Watergate tapes and then burned them. It's just really a shame none of that was recorded. Oh, well, whatever. The gear finally kicked back in. Uh, although you'll notice the sound quality is a bit lower, sorry. At this point in the conversation, Molly was telling us about how her UK editors at The Guardian wouldn't let her use the term gaslighting in her columns because it's an American turn of phrase. And we confessed we weren't familiar with the term either, so she explained it comes from a classic film directed by George Cooker. Where did it come from? Which movie? Bergman? It comes from a movie. Ingrid Bergman is the star of it. Okay, he's actor. Uh, And uh, it's called Gaslight. George Cooker. Okay, now I got it. Yeah, and it's this phrase. It's in the Urban Dictionary now. If you make somebody, try to make somebody think that they're crazy when they're not crazy, you're gaslighting them. All right. Now everybody knows, all your listeners. There we go. Um, All right, let's let's finally get to these questions, shall we? Some of these questions came from folks in the audience, yes? Get ready, if we call out your name, to defend your position or whatever, <laughs> whatever is asked, so, frankly. Yeah, the first one, Zachary Ferguson. All right, there you are. We'll bring a microphone. So if I have a holiday dinner party for close friends, am I still obliged to get them gifts? No. Right, exactly. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Like mm, let me think about it. No. <laughs> no way. No, I feel what? like if you if you make dinner for your friends, that to me that's a gift, yeah. right? And yeah. if somebody makes dinner for me, like that's a gift. It's a gift of friendship and food and presents. Yeah. Yeah. What, but what side give, of that give... were you on? Were you the the party thrower? Oh, always. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you can tell whoever is trying to get you to give them the gift to just like get the yeah. hell out. 
you're allowed. Do you normally get gifts? For, like, you normally get gifts for your friends? Like, if there was a dinner party involved, would you be a, like, here's some gloves? Or if something? they're like, <laughs> they're a friend and they're also related to me directly. Oh. oh well, yeah. related Plus, is a like, different yeah. thing. If oh. they're related, it's your then sister. you're, you know, if it's your niece sister. or nephew. Yeah, yes. you have to get them. If it's a, someone under a certain age and <laughs> yes. related to you, you definitely have to get them. Yeah, yes. you have Close. to pony up. But otherwise, I think food and wine and... Although right. this, this advice could be a disincentive to invite family members to your dinner party because it's like, I'm going to have to buy them stuff anyway. Do double, yeah. But tough. You got to do it. All right, th- there you go, Zachary. That's your advice. Um, the next, Margaret Fenton. Yes. Are you here? Oh, oh wow. sitting right near Zachary. Are you related? No. Were you invited to his party? <laughs> what did he get you? What is the best way to handle an invitation, one that you can't really refuse, to have dinner at home, at a home where the dinnerware is not properly washed and food safety guidelines are ignored? So, <laughs> so her life is in danger, right. but she cannot That's refuse right. the invitation. Yes. And wow. Margaret's name is now on the radio. Uh, so where I think you just you solved your problem. Where are you being dinner? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I can't. I can't imagine either. Either these places are, are you know filthy, or you're really uptight. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know when I. I mean, I, it's something I never think about, really. But then maybe, maybe I'm. Just I mean, like, there are there are hoarders that it's very obvious that you walk into their house and there's got to be a roach somewhere crawling around <laughs> here. It's true. Yeah. I think you say. Son, we pay for your tuition. <laughs> and, you know, we, don't, we don't really care what you do in your own time, yeah. but when you're having us over, you should clean up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you do? Well, my, my sister, I mean, I I've consider myself a pretty, you know, clean individual. My husband's there like, yeah. Um, but, no, my sister comes to, to visit, and she's a total germaphobe. So I, I always feel like our house is just disgusting when my sister's over because she's a germaphobe. So mm, I don't know. I guess that. people have very, I, you know, I think a little bit of germs are good. But let's assume Margaret isn't a germaphobe just for a second. <laughs> Sorry, Margaret. Will, <laughs> she is our listener. We need, and we need her pledge. That's right. She did just touch a public microphone. I know. That's true. <laughs> but we have, we've had one of the uh, hosts of Top Chef. On, mm-hmm. And the one time that they will spit something out on TV is when they feel that their lives are in danger if it's actually raw. Yeah. Really? So I think if your life really, if really your health is in danger. I mean, I think if it, the place is really disgusting and it's not your son or you're somebody in your family, then you know you don't really have to go. If it's and a, I think it's okay to be passive aggressive and just yeah. you know, act like it's gross there. Really, yeah, like wear telegraphing. gloves. Telegraphing. Yeah, wear gloves yeah. or like maybe one of those masks. Wear a hazmat yeah. suit. Yes, like wear. Walter. Yeah, show up with whole cleaning gear and with bleach. All right. So our next question is submitted anonymously in the audience. Submitted here? No. Okay. okay. So I'll ask. Should I ask? All right. So my father has recently started getting into sushi. However, when he eats it, he always mixes his wasabi into his soy sauce. I've been trying to just grin and bear it, but the combination looks so disgusting that I get put off from eating. How do I tell him, without sounding rude, that not only is his sushi etiquette terrible, but it also makes me slightly nauseous? Okay, nauseous is not a word. Oh. Just want to put that out there. Um, Nauseated, but, is that But the also, one? like, doesn't everybody mix wasabi with soy sauce? Yeah. I know, I, I thought it's the same thing. This is why it's been submitted anonymously, because they know they're wrong. I mean... <laughs> I know this is can we, BS. can we do a show of hands? How many people think that's okay? 
That's okay. Yeah, right? That's like okay. most of Los Angeles. And whoever right did, here. and they're submitted anonymously, right there, right there. <laughs> All true. right, got to the bottom of that. I, I mean, yep. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I, you know, I, I think that's okay yeah, to mix, I, you know, the wasabi with the soy. I, I think we know. can yeah. safely say next question. Yeah, so, <laughs> although I do have to say the first time I ever saw anyone, I grew up in Pittsburgh in the 80s, and the first time I ever saw anyone eat sushi was you in the breakfast club. Really? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell you were doing. <laughs> I was like, what is that little platform? Why do they have to do that? Oh, You know, uh, Ali Sheedy is responsible for that. In the original script of The Breakfast Club, I was eating pasta salad, and she said, no, you really, she should be eating sushi. And John Hughes changed it to sushi, but that, that was that was And that was like her. pre-carb hate. That was pre-carb <laughs> yeah. thought carbs were, yeah. pasta salad was like That's the healthy right. menu. He, he wanted to just write sort of a snooty thing to bring to school, and John's idea of snooty was pasta yeah. salad, and Allie yeah. just took it that one step further. <laughs> <laughs> she was right. All right, There's next question. Lynn Laguna? Is she here? Hi. Um, my question is, is it okay or is it rude to sneak out of a party and just leave without saying goodbye? Because sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just get tired of socializing. You're just mm -hmm. this big party yeah. and talking. Yeah. And yeah. I think they call this leave. French exit. They call this ghosting. Oh, French exit. Oh, Tell me more. Wow, two of them. <laughs> like French exit. I've heard French exit. That's what you, yeah, you leave without saying goodbye. I, I think it really depends on, on the size of the party, right? Yeah. I mean, if there's like five people, <laughs> five to ten people, yeah. no, no. Yeah. I don't think so. But if it's a party that's in full swing, I mean, usually I try to say goodbye to the person who invited me, the host or the hostess. But if, if he, they're having a great time and they're in the middle of dance, you know, yeah, just, just leave. I think it's sort of elegant, actually. I think your yeah. question actually answered Margaret's question. Yeah. For what you do <laughs> when you go to a dinner party yeah. where things Show are up and then be just, gone. Just ghost. You're out. Very quickly, um, French exit. So let's, let's hop to the... Oh, yeah, okay. Here's our last one. Is Julia Z in the audience... She's not going to tell us her last name, oh, wait, she's going to show Z? her oh, face. No. She's right here. Hi, Molly. Hi. Um, I was wondering, I recently applied for a job position at the dinner party download. <laughs> and I was wondering if I should use my attendance at the holiday frolic as an opportunity to network, or should I just go in my capacity as a fan of the show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. It's up to you. I, well I done, think I'm Julia. gonna make a French exit right yeah. now. <laughs> well, I think I think you know, mission accomplished. I think you just you just I think if you if you're networking, I mean networking just sounds so gross, but if if you're doing it well, then nobody knows that you're doing it. Except right? now. That's <laughs> right. Now. That's right. You have the cool, clear eyes of a seeker of wisdom and truth. Molly Ringwald, advice giver, sushi evangelist, singer, author, and all-around excellent guest. Her album of jazz and pop standards, Except Sometimes, is out now. And you're listening to a track called I Believe in You. Alas, I believe this special podcast is just about over. Uh, but before we go, we want to thank the team at KPCC in Pasadena for helping us produce our holiday frolic. That's John Cohn, Liz Brown, and Dave McKeever. Expect more shows, maybe in your town, next year. And now, yeah. before we leave you, it's just not the holidays without some wassling. So here's some folks to wassle your off in a pretty unconventional way. The Silver Lake Chorus is a merry band of singers from Los Angeles. They record regularly for film and TV, like, for instance, on the SNL digital short called 
I Just Had Sex, which has 225 million views on YouTube. Sex sells. Who knew? Who knew? So surprising. They've recently been recording tracks written for them by indie rock royalty, like the new pornographers, Tegan and Sarah, Ben Gibbard. And at our event, they performed one of them. It's called From the Snow-Tipped Hills, and it comes from Justin Vernon, a.k.a. Bonnie Vare. It's a fitting tune to send you off into your wintry wonderlands. Happy holidays, everyone. And bon appetit. Eight more rest in the common.